Have you ever noticed how much the people you live with have an impact on you? Or maybe even extend it beyond just the people who live in your house. Like the people who you spend the most time with. The people who you, you see at work on a daily basis. Maybe your classmates that you're with day after day after day. Maybe it's even people who live in your neighborhood. The people you spend the most amount of time with impact you in so many different ways. They impact your habits. They impact your conversations, your frustrations. The way you talk, the way you think about things, the way you discuss and feel about different issues. The, the people around you have a huge impact on your life. This is why, like for so many people, when it comes to this time of year, as students are about to head off to college, right, that's why there can be so much fear heading into going away um, to school for the first time. Um, because, right, you might have a best friend who you're about to be in a dorm with, but you never lived with them before. And so suddenly, the question is, will you still be friends after a year of every single day seeing that person? Or, uh, maybe you're heading, maybe you, you are heading into college or maybe you even had this experience where you decide, you know, I'm not going to know who I'm going to dorm with. And so you go and it's just kind of like a flip of a coin. Who, who is the person that I'm going to end up away at college with? Are they going to go to bed at a reasonable time? Are they going to stay up late? Are they going to wear clothes when my friends come over? I, like, what am I going to actually get into when I'm away at college? Um, and it, it's not only that. Like, there are lots of experiences where we do this. Like, when you have kids as a parent, um, you realize that there are things that you had to start thinking about when you had kids that you didn't before. Like, you, you didn't have to worry, am I going to step on that awful Lego in the middle of the night when I go for a midnight snack? You didn't, you didn't have to do that before. Like, having a kid in the house suddenly changed that thing. It changed it. It changed the amount of sleep that you had. It changed, like, I didn't realize until I became a parent that... Um, you had to plan date nights. Like, you had to actually schedule them in advance. Um, before I had kids, I, you just, that was whenever we wanted. Um, there also, though, not, it's not just those things, right? There are the joys, like the moments when you see your kids take steps or they say one of their first words, right? The incredible joys. Or, or another example, maybe you've lived with your parents before as an adult. I'm not speaking from my own experience because my parents go to this church. Um, but, um, but some of you may have had that experience before that you may have, you've as an adult moved back in with your parents maybe to save some money for a season, right? And there are unique challenges to that, right? Because suddenly you were used to being on your own. You were used to having your own space, your own schedule, your own rules. And suddenly you move back in and suddenly, right, their, their desires, their their wants, their house, all have an impact on the way you think, the way you're living, what you're experiencing. Or, let's flip it around, right? Parents who have their adult kids move back in, like you were really getting used to that empty nest life, and then your kid decides to show back up, like, oh yeah, of course you're welcome here, right? And then you have to figure out, like, what are we going to do? Like, suddenly, um, we can't do whatever we want as parents anymore because our kids are back. See, one of the things that's true in all of our areas of life is the people we are around the most have a huge impact on us. When you live with somebody, their desires have an impact on you. The things they want to do, the things they want to talk about, the things that they're interested in, all of it has an impact on you and your life and your experience. And so today, as we continue our series on the book of Romans, I want to talk about just that in relation to how we understand God, that God has an impact on our life. Now, so far in this series, we've dug into a number of different ideas. We've talked about this idea that we are in Christ, and because we are in Christ, that means our identity comes from our relationship with Jesus. 
that since we are in Christ, sin is not our master. We are not in sin, we are in Christ. And so we are no longer slaves to sin. Last week we talked about this ongoing tension, a tension of being a sinner and a saint, this ongoing struggle with sin, that while we are, our identity comes from Jesus, there is still an ongoing battle as we walk that out. Today I want to take us into Romans 8 and talk about this idea that Paul calls a life by the Spirit. In a life by the Spirit, Paul will describe something that is absolutely unique to the Christian faith, that is, that is not found in other religions. And so I want to spend some time reading this and talking about it. And so I'm going to start in chapter 8 and we'll begin in verse 5. It says this, Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what the, that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if, the, if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who lives in you. Therefore... Brothers, we have an obligation, but it's not according to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So Paul has a lot there about what God is doing. So I want to start, though, in, in, by circling back to verse 11. Because it's actually verse 11 that, that, that unpacks this idea that is absolutely unique to the Christian faith. When you compare Christianity to other world's religions, this is not true of those other religions. And it's this idea. It says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you... He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit, again, who lives in you. God lives inside you. Now, if we've learned anything from just our brief conversations about what happens when somebody lives close to you or around you, right, we know it has an impact. And so when we think about that in relationship to God, if God is making his home in you, if God is moving in, like if he's packed his bags, is showing up at the door to your heart, and he's walking in, it's going to have an impact. It's going to have an impact on the way you think. It's going to have an impact on the way you live. It's going to impact your relationships, your family, all of it. Like if God shows up and he starts making himself home in your heart and he decides, you know, I've got some redecorating to do. You're going to feel that. Like when God, when God starts moving around the couches and hanging new pictures on the wall, you're going to notice the way that feels in your heart. Like when Jesus decides, you know what, I'm going to change what's been playing on the screen of their heart from what they've been watching. I'm going to, I'm going to set their mind on something different. When God does that, you're going to notice it in your mind. You're going to notice the thoughts change. When, when the Holy Spirit decides it's time to take out some of the trash, 
Right? You're going to notice that. That's not going to feel good. He's going to dig up some stuff. He's going to find some stuff in the closets that you were hoping nobody would ever find. But when that happens, it will have an impact. Now, what's really cool about this, though, is just that idea that God lives in you because it's absolutely unique to Christianity. Other religions don't believe that the God, the creator of the universe, if they believe that there is a God, they don't believe he lives inside of you. They might believe there is a God that is in existence or even religions that believe in multiple gods. They don't believe that that God makes his residence inside of humanity. No, other religions might believe that there is a God, that he is even maybe a creator and in control. Um, And so he is outside of you and removed from you, but also somehow in control and in power of what happens on earth. Or there are, are, are many religions believe that there is a God or gods, and your goal is really to try to make them happy or just not make them angry. And so can you do more good than bad? Can you balance out the system, if you will? If a bad thing happens, it will come back around and good will happen to you because it all balances out in the end. Or other religions would even say that God is in everything, um, that they, they would kind of point to all, all of creation. It's all divine. Not saying that it's all like sacred and created by God, but they'd actually equate it to God. Um, that say it's, it's all divine and you're divine and you just have to recognize the divine in everything. Um, now what's different though about Christianity is it, it, there are parts of it where you can see like, oh, there are some similarities. We believe in a creator God. We believe in the divine. But it's also incredibly unique because, because Christianity... Um, believes that while God created everything and is in power over everything, he's also not removed from everything. He doesn't stay at a distance. In fact, when he came, he came as a baby. He came right in the middle of creation. The creator became the creation. Like he actually jumped into this world as a human being. And unlike other religions, it wasn't like, can we appease this God? Um, But Jesus came in order to to love and to, to, with grace and mercy, forgive. That it wasn't based on, can the good outweigh the bad? But instead it was, Jesus was good for us on our behalf. And then because of that, then we see Christianity allows this distinction to still be made that the creator is not the created. And so it allows us to look at all of God, all that God had made and say it's good. It's very, very good. And then God tells us then that that creator made his home inside human beings. That there's something absolutely unique to, to God's creation of humans. Made in the image of God. That because of the power, because of the work, and because of faith in Jesus, that God actually makes his home in you. And so all this happens because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. When Paul in Romans 8, earlier in Romans 8 says, there is now no condemnation for those of you who are in Christ Jesus. Right? That removal of the condemnation is the invitation for Christ to be in your heart. When, when Christ removes sin and shame and guilt and fear, when he gets all of that out of the way by the death and resurrection that he accomplishes on the cross, then your heart is now open for Jesus to make his home inside of you. And so the question is, though, if God's home is actually in your heart, what does that change? Because there's no way for God to live that close to you without it changing things, without it having an impact on you. And so what we see in Romans chapter 8 is Paul describes in in a number of different ways what it changes and what we see Jesus doing. Um, And and I'd say it this way. When God lives in you, it changes your mind, it changes your actions, and it reminds you of your identity. And so I want to start with the first of those that begins to happen when God moves in. And as I describe these, 
It's important to remember, this is not like a once and done thing. It's not like, oh, Jesus lives inside of me, therefore I never have negative thoughts. Or that's not what we're talking about. It's not like Jesus lives in me, therefore I no longer sin. I no longer make the wrong choice. When Jesus changes our actions, we still, this is an ongoing transformation. This is all of Romans 8 comes in light of what is also true in Romans 7. I continue to do the things I don't want to do. And so this is an ongoing transformation. But what I also know is true is if Jesus lives inside of you, it will have an impact on you. You will hear God speak into your heart, into your mind. As you study the scripture, as you believe what God says, it will impact the way you think about God, your relationships, and it will impact the choices that you make. So let's circle back to verses 5 and 6. Let me read these again, and we'll talk about what Paul is saying here about the mind. He says, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mindset on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. So Paul sets up two ways here to think about the mind. He has a mind of the flesh and a mind of the spirit. And Paul says these are very different. There are two ways, there are two modes that we can operate. And he'd say when you operate with a mind of the flesh, he's saying that leads to death. Right? It leads to death, maybe physically, but also a death of joy, a death of peace, a death of happiness. And he says the, the alternative way to live would be a mind of the spirit. Other places Paul talks about having a mind of Christ. There is a mindset that is fixed on the ways of God. And so Paul sets these up and says the mind of the flesh is death and the mind of the spirit is life and peace. And so I want to ask this about your own thoughts. Because I think it, it can be, we, we should be able to very quickly tell, all right, which way do we tend to live in our minds? Do your thoughts tend to lead you to a place of life and peace or away from it? When you think about your own thought life, the things that you tend to spend the most time thinking about, and maybe for you, that's what keeps you up at night. Maybe that for you, that's just what, what you wake up thinking about. I don't know what it is for you, but when you think about your mind, is it tending to bring you closer to life and peace or further away from it? Because Paul would say, if, if it, your thoughts are bringing you to life and peace, that would be what he calls a mind of the Spirit. It would be a mind that is fixed on Jesus, a mind that is focused on what God says and what God says about who you are. But if your thoughts are leading you away from that, away from life, is towards death. And so Paul describes that as a mind of the flesh, saying that there are some ways that we tend to think that aren't actually good for us. Some ways we tend to get thought in, in these spirals of of worry and despair and loneliness, these places that we can find ourselves stuck that leads us further and further away from what God wants for us. One statistic I read said we have 30,000 thoughts every day and about 70% of them are negative. All right, think about where that puts us when Paul is talking about a mind of the flesh and a mind of the spirit. Now, I want to clarify here, this is not like a talk about positive thinking. That's not like, oh, we just change our mind and suddenly things are better. This is not what Paul's suggesting. In fact, this is why what Paul is suggesting is linked to who lives inside of you. Because if it was just sheer willpower, we would say, oh, I have negative thoughts. And none of us in here would struggle with those negative thoughts. Because we would know, oh, these thoughts aren't actually helpful for me. We would know when we can't sleep. I just need to stop thinking these things. But any of you who've ever struggled with anxiety, you know that if somebody tells you to stop worrying about that, what do you do? You you worry about it more. right? It's not just a sheer willpower. And so Paul says the things that's going to actually change your mind 
is the one who lives inside your heart. That is going to be the thing that shifts the way we think and that, that changes our thoughts, not to be focused on the negative. Instead, with Christ lives in you, he will acknowledge the negative. Christ doesn't pretend there's not brokenness and evil in our world. He doesn't pretend that there's no sin in you. Instead, Christ says, let me, let, let's deal with that, but let me tell you what really makes you you. That, your, that, that sin is not your master. That struggle has not defined you. That trauma has not made you who you are. I make you who you are. And so when your mind is set on the flesh, it spirals towards death. Death of joy and death of peace and death of relationships. In my own wrestling with identity, I, I find it's not unusual to experience that battle between the mind of the flesh and the mind of the spirit. Now, on an average day, I'd say I do okay. Like, I'd say, oh, maybe I'm like a bee. And, I, and like, on that day, like, I hear the, the lies of the enemy come in. That, oh, you're not good. Or who do you think you are? Can you really lead well? But on, on an average day, I'll say, you know, that's the enemy. That's not who Christ says I am. That's not what I read in the scriptures that Christ says at, at, is true of me as a follower of Jesus. And I can identify those. But it's on the bad days that I find myself that it's something, that something partners with what the enemy is already speaking that then spirals my mind in that, into that place. That I was already believing the lies of the enemy and then somebody just made a comment offhand that, wasn't, that didn't really mean anything, but suddenly it called into question my leadership. It called into the question the kind of man I am. It called into question my strength. It called into question, am I alone or am I surrounded by people? And so suddenly my mind then spirals and, it's what, and I experience just that. It's a mind of the flesh and it's leading away from peace. It's we, leading away from life. And you know what I always do when I'm in those moments? I tend, to, I tend to try to solve the problem with a solution that is not the way the Spirit would solve the problem. I tend to figure out, all right, how can I just distract myself from these thoughts? Because if, if, if it's not bringing life and peace, well, if I can just not think about them, then I, maybe I will be better. And so I, what I tend to do, and this is just me, you probably have your other coping mechanisms, but I'll grab my phone at night because if Instagram's there, at least I can distract myself from the spiraling thoughts. Like at least if I'm on Instagram in, for an hour, and, which, and it's good, right? I'm relationally collected, connected. I know what's going on in the world. Other people feel happy if I like what they post. And so I will just scroll on that, but all of that is really really about, can I distract myself from the mind of the flesh? The problem is distracting yourself from the mind of the flesh doesn't heal the mind of the flesh. What God wants to do is he wants to rescue you from what the mind of the flesh is doing to you and give you a mind of the spirit. And the way that happens is not by distracting yourself, but it's actually by listening. By listening to the pain, the hurt, the experience, and then listening to what God wants to speak in response to that. And so you might have your other ways. Maybe it's Netflix, maybe it's relationships, maybe it's drinking. I don't know what it is for you, but we often come up with ways to distract ourselves because we don't feel peace or life. Now, as Paul continues, I want to jump to verses 12 and 13. Paul then connects what happens in our minds to our actions. Because what you think is not just about what you think. It's also about what you do. Our actions flow out of our thoughts. And so he says, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation that is not to the flesh to live according to it. Now, this is really important. Because as followers of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is living in us. And Paul says we have an obligation to live by that same power, which means we are not under the power of sin. 
Sin is not our master anymore. We are set free from sin, which means we don't have to choose sin in those moments. We don't have to choose the unhealthy. We don't have to choose the brokenness in relationships. We don't have to add to the problem. Paul says you, we have an obligation because of who lives in us. Stop choosing to be mastered by what you are already set free from. Stop choosing to put the chains back on when I already cut the chains off once. And so Paul says, instead, live according to it. And if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Paul says there are some areas of your life that just need to be put to death. Some things that need to be cut out. Some things that need to go. Paul says, put to death the things that bring you death. When you look at your own life, are there things that you are turning to that don't bring you peace, that aren't bringing you life? Paul gives you permission to here to say, let's put those to death. Is there a way that you are living, a choice is that you are making in your friendships, in your relationships that is bringing you further away from God than closer to him? Paul, Paul gives you permission. Right, you, that can end. Are there addictions, are there patterns of behavior that you turn to in response to your thoughts? Paul says, how about we put some of those things to death? Because when we put to death the things that are bringing death, it will also change the way you think. Because again, these are connected to each other. What do we learn? Right? The way you think impacts the way you act, and then what you, the way you act also then in turn impacts the way you think. And those, those go round and round and round building into one another. And so when the Holy Spirit is at work living in you, he is transforming you. He's transforming your thinking, which in, for, in turn transforms your living. And in all of this, what begins to happen is our desires over time begin to align with the desires of God. Now let's jump to one more verse, verse 15. As I love how Paul says it here, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And the Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. When God moves in, he moves in as family. That God moves in as a part of the family and says, I have adopted you into my family. That there is nothing that you have done. There is no sin that separates you so far from me that we're not family anymore. He says, I've made you a son. I've made you a daughter. You are my child. And then I love how Paul says about that sonship, about that relationship, he says, then the spirit will testify with our spirit. In other words, your spirit, which is you, you and the Holy Spirit will agree to what God says about you. Which for most of us, that's not where we tend to live. Most of us experience, like, there's what I think about myself, and there's the lies I believe about myself, or what the enemy speaks about myself, or what the world tells me I should think about myself, which is in opposition to what God speaks of me. And what Paul says, when God lives in you, is he will keep speaking it over and over to the point that eventually your spirit and the Holy Spirit will be in agreement about who you really are. When God moves in, he reminds you who you are. In my house, I hear my name all the time. 
Like when I like at nighttime, it will it will it's not unusual. Like several times throughout the night, somebody's calling, "Daddy, Daddy, hey, Daddy, Daddy," and so I come running into the room, and maybe it's because they're scared, maybe it's a bad dream, maybe it's just another drink of water, right? But it happens over and over again. Or just just this last week on Tuesday, I came home from a, a trip with our middle schoolers, um, and when I was driving down the street, I had my windows open, and before I pulled onto my street, the kids are running down the street shouting, "Daddy, Daddy, he's home, he's home." Why? Because there is a joy and an excitement because my kids know who I am and they can't wait for me to be around. Or there's, or there's times where I get the, the text from my wife and she says, RJ, when are you going to be home? Right? Because there's a, there's a sense of, all right, she, but she knows who I am and she says, I need you. I can't do this without you. And, and here's, here's what I know, that there's something that's true in, in, in all of our lives, that those who are closest to you are going to call out your name the most often. Those who are closest to you are going to call out your name the most often because they need you, because they want you, because they love you. They'll call out when things are hard. They'll call out in joy. They'll call out for help. They'll call out because they just want attention. And so when God moves into your heart, God does the same. He calls out to you because you're worth it, because he just wants your attention. He just wants to be with you. And so Jesus moves in speaking truth to you. On, a, on bad days, he sits you down to talk it out with you. On a good day, he makes sure you don't discredit your identity, what your identity has to do with the good you experience. When you struggle with sin, he calls out and he points and he sees something better in you. Why? Because God sees you differently than you see yourself. And so God will begin to change your mind so that when he says you are good, you'll begin to believe it. When he says you are enough, you'll begin to believe it. When he says you are not alone, you will begin to believe him. And if God is anything like what we see as parents, the kind of parent that God is and the way that he reminds you as he makes his home inside of you, is like the kind of father who is there cheering on his kid as they take their first steps. Because in that moment, what the father does is he sees his kids take baby step, baby step, and fall. And he doesn't get there on the ground and yell at them because they fell. Instead, he picks them up and he is cheering them on. I believe when Paul talks about having a mind of the spirit, and when he talks about the way our actions flow out of that, our God who lives in you is so close to you that he is there as you are taking the baby steps. And so you are taking one, two baby steps, and then you fall into the old way of thinking. And you can't believe that you've fallen back into that old way of thinking. You, 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 you are saying, I can't believe I've done this again. How could God love me? And God's not there yelling at you. He's, he is cheering you out, and he's saying, they did two steps, two steps, and he is picking you up. He's picking you up and he's saying, you're my son, you're my daughter. I am so proud of you. And then you walk, you take a few more steps as you're trying to change habits, as you're trying to change the way you treat other people. And yeah, you fall, but when you fall down again, God is picking you up and he is cheering you on and saying, I am so proud of you. See, the reason that God has made his home in your heart is because there is nowhere else that he could be close enough to never stop speaking to you about who you are. And so in every step, in every fall, God is there, and he is there picking you up, and he is there making a fool of himself, cheering you on, praising you, saying, I am so proud of you. I'm proud of you, and you are my son. You are my daughter. I love you. 
when God moves into your heart, that's the truth he wants to speak to you. And he will not stop speaking that truth until your spirit can testify with his. So let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you that you make your home in our hearts. That in some mysterious way that's really beyond our even explanation or understanding that you call our hearts your home. Despite our sins, despite our failures, despite our flaws, that you have made your resident in, residence inside of us. And so Jesus, we pray that in these moments that you would show us that you would show us your love for us. I pray that you would bring to mind the way that our hearts look to you. That you would bring to mind the things that you see in our heart. That you would show us the things you want to rearrange, the things that you want to do. that you would show us what you want our minds to be fixed on. Jesus, I pray that as you move into our hearts and as you have already been living there, that you would change our lives to reflect your love, that we would love others the way that you have loved us. And that as you live with us, that you would be so close to us that we would be able to hear your voice. That we would hear you speak and remind us of who we are. That you would remind us of who you are, your grace, your mercy, your love, your sacrifice. And that in it we would know who you say that we are. Jesus, I pray that you would help us to believe it. That when the enemy in this world wants us to believe anything other than the truth that you speak to us, Jesus. I pray that you, because of your proximity, that your voice would be louder, that we would know who we truly are. 